This morning I invite you to open them once again to 2 Peter. The sermon series is entitled Timeless Truths for Troubled Times. We've looked at 1 Peter and we're finishing 2 Peter. Not today, but in the next couple of weeks. The title of the message is simply Remember. When the government turns hostile against you, it was in Peter's day, it will in our day, I promise you. When false prophets have infiltrated and invaded the church, and they're spreading their heresies, their idolatries, their immoralities, they were in Peter's day, and they are today. You need to remember some things. Some things that will not only allow you to survive, but to thrive. That you will not be a victim in Jesus, but a victor in Jesus. And so Peter begins to lighten up a little bit and encourage, even as he's had to write some dark things to us concerning the day in which we live. 2 Peter chapter 3. For our scripture reading, we'll look at verse 1 and 2 but we'll be looking at verses 3 through 9 in just a second as well. Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Notice he says, I write you these things, the second epistle, by way of reminder, verse 1, a derivative of that word reminder, that you might be mindful of. What does he want us to remember? Is the question that we're going to be looking at in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to remind you of something. God's Word is true. God's Word is the Bible. God's Word is Genesis through Revelation and everything in between. God's Word is truth. God's Word does not contain the truth. It is the truth. And for this reason, false ministers like to ignore the Bible or deny the Bible in order to change or to corrupt or to use a current word, cancel out the Bible's truth. Did you catch that? False ministers. And there's plenty of them in churches. They ignore the Bible. It's not that they tell you they're against the Bible, they just ignore it. They'll read one verse of Scripture, close it up, and you'll never see the Bible again. It's just eye candy. False ministers ignore the Bible, or some of them outright deny the Bible because they want to change the truth to us. They want to corrupt that truth. They want to cancel that truth out. They they call into question the Bible's inspiration, its infallibility, its inerrancy, its, its interpretation, its relevancy, its validity. They don't want us to know the truth because the truth will what? Set you free. 
People who live in ignorance, people who live in foolishness, people who live in a lie, they live in bondage. So when you see a country dumbing down its citizens, when you see a church dumbing down its congregation, it's because they want to lead you to bondage, not freedom. The truth will always set you free, and the Bible is God's truth to you and I and to all men. Listen to me carefully. Of all the truths that's in the Bible, and there's hundreds of thousands of truths in the Bible, there is no greater truth in my estimation for you and I today in the generation in which we live than this truth. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. The one who died for us, the one who was buried for us, the one who was resurrected for us, the one who's preparing a place for us in heaven one day, he is coming again for us. He's coming again. That is a fact. It's not fiction. It's an ironclad, absolute certainty. He's coming again. The prophets foretold it. The angels declared it. The apostles expected it. Jesus himself promised it. And you and I today need to live with the expectation it could happen today. In fact, it could happen before this service is over. You close your eyes in prayer for me, and I'm gone when you open them up. You say, Pastor, people praying for you when you preach? Several of you are. He's coming again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. That should be our cry, and that was certainly the cry in Peter's day. As the churches and Christians were being persecuted by the thousands upon thousands. What would Peter have them remember? When the going got rough, what did he want them to remember? If the going gets rough for us one day, and I believe it shall, what would he have us remember? Well, there's four things from our verses. Keep your Bibles open. Let's talk about them. Remembrance number one. The truth of the Lord's return shall be mocked. The truth of the Lord's return shall be mocked by false ministers and those who follow them. Look at verse three through five or verse three through six. Let's look at verse three through six. Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers, now I want you to pay attention to that word scoffers that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. They shall, with a smirk on their face and sarcasm in their words, they shall say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that had then existed perished, being flooded with water. 
Peter says, remember, false ministers are about changing, corrupting, and canceling out the truth. The coming of Jesus is a truth that you and I should hold near and dear. Peter says these false ministers who deny the coming of the Lord are scoffers. Scoffers in the original language is an interesting translation. You know what it means? Laughing fools. Peter's just a polite gentleman. He doesn't call them that. He just calls them scoffers. I'm not so gentlemanly. I'll tell you what he really means. He's calling them laughing fools. He said these scoffers, these laughing fools who call themselves ministers are going to deny the coming of Jesus. They'll deny it by never talking about it or they will deny it by absolutely refuting it as a theology doctrine. Now what will be their arguments? If you're going to refute something, if you're going to deny something, You've got to have an argument. But he tells us what their arguments are going to be and why they'll argue these things. Notice in verse 3, he tells us there will be an emotional argument by these scoffers, these, these laughing fools. And that emotional argument that Jesus is not coming again is based on their own lust. Look at verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers, laughing fools, that's what they're called, will come in the last days. Now, when's the last days? Is it now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Knowing first that these laughing fools will come in our day, the last days, and they will walk according to their own lusts. So so the scoffers present the emotional argument that Jesus is not coming again, and the reason they present it is because of their own lust. Remember, we've talked about false ministers are greedy and lustful. They're greedy and lustful for three things, money, sex, and material things. They're all about getting rich. They're all about having public or private immoral affairs, and they're all about accumulating things, whether those things be a huge mansion, whether it be 19 cars, 16 boats, a helicopter and a private plane. After all, they need it for their ministry. Why do they deny the coming of the Lord? Because they fulfill these lusts with deceit and dishonesty. They lie to people to get what they want, and they're dishonest with people what they're going to do when you get what you, from something from you. Now think about it. When Jesus came the first time, he came as Savior. When he comes again, he's coming as Judge. If I'm a false minister and I have lied to people and I've been dishonest with people in order to satisfy my desires for money, sex, and material things, the last thing I want to do 
is have to be reminded, I'm going to face Judge Jesus one day. Not Judge Judy, Judge Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to deny his coming. Somehow, if I can just deny his coming, I won't have to face his judgment. Now, how warped can you get to think by simply saying it's not true, it won't happen? Well, they have foolish minds and darkened hearts. But, but that's the way false ministers operate. I don't want to face Judge Jesus, so I'll just deny he's coming. And then I don't have to answer for my deceit, my dishonesty, and how I use God's people and other people for my own kingdom and not the kingdom of the Lord, whose name that I frequently mentioned. There's also an intellectual argument that they use. They, they emotionally argue it because of lust. But they also intellectually argue the Lord's return based on past history. Look at verse 4. Now, verse 4 is smack with sarcasm. These are what the false ministers say. Where is the promise of his coming? Where, where, where is it that? Theologians have said he's coming. Pastors have said he's coming. Preachers have said he's coming. Evangelists have said he's coming. My parents said he was coming. Granddaddy said he's coming. Great-granddaddy said he's coming. Great-great-granddaddy said he was coming. He ain't showed up yet. Maybe they got it wrong. That's what they're saying. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, fell asleep is a nice way of saying died, but since the fathers have died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What false prophets say is, it's never happened before, it's not going to happen now. There's no present rationale for it happening. It doesn't make any sense. If it doesn't make any sense, it can't be true. There's no past record of it. All this talk about Jesus coming again, it has no precedent in past history. It has no precedent now. So they deny he's coming. Why? Because they don't want to face a judge and their fulfillment of lust. Why do they deny he's coming? Well, they deny he's coming because they say he never has come yet. Hasn't come yet. Y'all still believe in that fairy tale? He's not coming. Never was coming. That was just something concocted by preachers to give you an expectancy that's not there. They emotionally argue against his coming. They intellectually argue against his coming. But they also willfully, if you look at verse 5, argue against his coming. The emotional arguments based on their lust. The intellectual arguments based on past history. Their willful argument is based on their own corruption. For this they willfully forget. Not accidentally forget, willfully forget. That by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of order and in the water. 
you've got a dark mind, you'll have a dark outlook on things. If you have a wicked heart, you'll have a wicked outlook on things. False ministers have both. Their minds are darkened. They're fools. Their hearts are wicked. They're infidels. They couldn't see the truth if it stood in front of them. And these false ministers outright reject the Lord's return because of who they are in their mind and who they are in the heart. That's why what you have in your mind is important because your mind determines how you're going to think. What you have in your heart is important because your heart determines how you're going to feel and both will shape your behavior. That's why the battle's for your mind. Give me your mind and I'll have you. That's why you better make sure that whoever you sit under and listen to, they're giving you truth. Because truth, again, will do what? Set you free. Non-truth will do what? It'll put you in bondage, make you a slave of someone or something. So these, these false ministers, they know the truth, but they outright reject it. Their minds are dark, their hearts are wicked. They willfully reject it. So that's what Peter says. Be reminded that they're out there. Men and women who stand in podiums or pulpits and they deny the coming of the Lord. They deny it to escape judgment because he's never come before, they say, and it doesn't fit their ideology and desire. They are laughing fools. And listen to me carefully. You can laugh and smirk your way to hell but you won't laugh and smirk your way out of hell. And that's where false ministers are going as they seek to deny the truth of the Word of God. But let's move on. Peter says, be reminded that false ministers deny the coming of Jesus. Secondly, remember, God's truth is forever consistent. Look at verse 5 through 7. For this they willfully forget. What do they forget? That by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. Now, what is Peter saying? He's saying, first of all, remember, false ministers are going to come and deny the truth of the Lord's return. He said, also, remember this. God's truth is forever consistent. God is a God of promise. He says what he does, and he does what he says. God keeps his word. You may not keep your word, I may not keep my word, but God always keeps his word. Ivory soap is 99.7% or something like that pure. That's pretty close. God's better than that. He's 100% accurate in everything he promises and says. When God says something, he will do it, and he does what he says he's going to do. No excuses no exceptions, no reversals, no change of mind. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. 
Now, Peter reminds those of that day of a historical event. Can you figure out what he's talking about when he's talking about the earth standing out of water and in water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water? What's he talking about? He's talking about the flood. And he said, God always keeps his word. Now, what took place in Noah's day? God told Noah to build an ark because a flood was going to come and bring judgment to those who have rejected the living God and his truth. God promised Noah, build the ark because judgment's coming. It will be a watery judgment and it will consume all evil. That's what God said to Noah. He also said, as you're building this ark, tell people how to be saved from this watery judgment. Tell them that there will come a day when the ark will be opened up and whosoever will can come into the ark. And they will be saved from the judgment of water that's coming against the wicked world. Noah built the ark in two days, right? He built it in 120 years. He built it. The smirkers, the skeptics, the scoffers, they called him every name in the book. They mocked him, they laughed at him, they ridiculed him. But he kept building the ark. And he kept telling them, one day you're going to need to get on this ark because the judgment of God's coming. And you know what they did? They laughed like fools until it started raining and the door was closed. Now, what is Peter saying? He said, they laughed because it didn't happen in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. The people in that day were impatient, just like we are. But God does not deal with clocks he doesn't deal with watches. He doesn't deal with calendars. When God says he's going to do something, he does it. But it may not be on our time. It's on his time. And he's saying, this is what Peter's saying, the God who said the wicked will be judged by a watery judgment from God will, has also said the world will once again be judged by God himself through a fiery judgment. The same God who told the people of that day, you can be saved from that judgment by coming into the ark. And the ark was a picture of Jesus from inside out. Everything about that ark was a picture of Jesus. That's another sermon. But you can be saved if you go into the ark. That same God is telling you and I, there's a fiery judgment coming. But if you come into Jesus, you'll be saved. But once the judgment begins, it'll be too late. Because when that boat, that door on Noah's ark closed, nobody else got in. And listen to me. When the rapture of the church occurs, those who have known how to be saved and have rejected it, they will perish. God keeps his word. God keeps his word. He kept it to Noah in that day, and he will keep it to you and I in our day. Thirdly, reminder, another reminder. Verse 8, remember God's truth is not affected by time. Kind of fix into what I just said. 
God's truth is forever consistent. What God says God will do, he's a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. Remember, thirdly, God's truth is not affected by time. Look at verse 8. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that the Lord, that unto the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. What Peter's saying is God is timeless. He's not only truthful, always keeps his word, but he's timeless. Jesus came into the world, and he was God. And he called himself the great I was. Y'all did better than the 8 o'clock. They're just such nice people. They, they, no, he's, he didn't call himself the great I was. He was not about the past. He didn't call himself the great I will be. Because he's not about the future. You see, we live in past. We live in future. We live in yesterdays. We live in tomorrow. But Jesus, being God, said, I am the great I am. I live in today. I live in the present. I don't have a past. I don't have a future. Everything is current to me. And God's promises are timeless. Come, they will come to pass. Remember when, the, when God promised that he was going to send Jesus the first time? In Genesis, he, he made a promise that he was going to send a Savior into the world. A Savior would come into the world. How long was it before that was fulfilled? 4,000 years. 4,000 years. I can see the skeptics and scoffers strutting around saying, where's he at? God said he's going to come. He ain't come yet. Maybe God's old and senile and forgot what he said. Maybe Jesus is on vacation and ain't come back. Oh, they, oh, they laughed, didn't they? But when this time was right, Jesus came into the world. It's 2,000 years later. And the prophets and the apostles and the angels and Jesus himself have said, he's coming again. And we ask with our same little smart elegantness sometime, where's he at? Pastor Jim came here in 1993. He tells us Jesus was coming then. He come. Pastor's just an old senile man. He sings songs about the second coming, but they're just mythologically songs. He's not coming. If he's going to come, he would have already come. Listen, he's coming. He's coming. Took 4,000 years for him to come the first time as Savior. I predict you it'll be, he'll come in much lesser time as judge. You say, Pastor, when is he coming then? I don't know. And don't you fall for anybody who tells you they know because they don't. But I do know this. We're one day closer today than we were yesterday. We'll be one day closer tomorrow than we are today. Jesus is coming again. The Bible says you can't know the day, can't know the hour, but you can know the proximity, the season. We know that spring is here, summer's coming. Why? Because it's warm. The weather's warm. The grass is turning green. The flowers are starting to grow. You see all the signs of it. You know it's close. 
When you see my shadow, you know that I'm close. Not, I'm not far behind. And the Bible gives us signs and says, when you start seeing these signs appearing, you need to get ready to leave this world. You know there's hundreds of signs. And do you know just about every single one of them has been fulfilled? Most of them in our generation. Think just with me about the global signs. The signs of the nations that Jesus said would be evident in the day just before I come again. You know the Bible, the, the Apostle John predicted a superpower nation would rise up in the east in the last days. That superpower nation would have technology, it would have armed forces, it would have wealth. It would be able to put into the field of battle a 200 million man army. That army will march from the east, cross the Euphrates River, and go into Israel to battle for control of the world one day. Do you know that that nation now exists? It's China. A militant, aggressive China. Do you think that's just coincidental? No, the Bible's being fulfilled before our eyes. The fall of America. Why isn't the greatest country there has ever been in the history of this world, the United States of America, why is it not mentioned in the Scriptures? Because we're no longer a factor as Jesus prepares for his return. Our politicians are going to, to spend us into bankruptcy. They've stretched our military beyond the ability that, can, that it can cope with all of the enemies that are out there. And then we underpay them, underfund them, understaff them. The collapse of America is coming one day. I'm not being gloom and doom. I'm just telling you. The resurrection of Israel is predicted in the last days. Ezekiel said the nation of Israel buried in the graveyard of nations is going to resurrect one day and come back to life. 1948 it did. That same Ezekiel said in the last days, Russia and Iran will join their hands together in a coalition to Pearl Harbor Israel, a 9-11 Israel. Is it just coincidence that this communist nation has joined hands with this Islamic religious nation? Normally them two would hate each other, but they've joined their hands together for the purpose of destroying Israel. The unification of Europe, do you know that's predicted by Daniel? And a world full of problems, nobody can solve them. Do you know the Bible says somebody's coming to solve them? His name is Antichrist. And he will bring with him a one-world government, a one-world banking system, a one-world religious system. And you know how he's going to come to power? Pay attention. I'll give you this for free. Fear. The people of the world are going to be so afraid of something that they're all going to give him the ultimate power because he said, I can deal with the fear. What we saw in COVID, I don't know where you're at on all this, but what we saw in COVID was a fear-mongering. To panic people into fear. That you'd, we'd give the government wide range of things they can do. Now, I'm not, I just want you to know, everything has a trial run before actually it happens. I wonder what the next fear thing will be. Maybe an invasion from outer space is coming and we better unite as a world to stop it.
Just throwing that out. Because a lot of being said about UFOs, and when a lot of being said about something, you better pay attention. Being said for a reason. Enough of that, though. We've got to move on. Lastly, remember, he says, remember that false ministers are going to come and deny the return of Jesus. Remember that God is a promise keeper. What he says is what he's going to do. Remember that he's timeless. God doesn't work like we do. We, we look at minutes, we look at hours, we look at days, we look at weeks and months and years. God doesn't. He's always been, he'll always be. Time doesn't matter to him. He's more concerned about timing. And then lastly, maybe you have the question, they seem to have it in Peter's day, why does he wait? I mean, why not come? Why does he wait? Why is he patient, long-suffering, slow, deliberate, and this return that the Scriptures tell us is going to happen? The answer is found in verse 9. Look at it as we close. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some would count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is he so slow in coming back? Do those of you wonder where he's at? Because he wants to see people saved. 120 years he was slow, waiting for people to come into the ark and so he could close the door and they wouldn't drown in the judgment to come. They didn't listen. Now he's given us Jesus. He's waiting for people to come and give their life to Jesus before the fiery judgment comes of his return. He wants people to be saved. I'm glad he waited for me. If he would have come prior to 1979, I'd be in hell. Aren't you glad he waited for you? Aren't you glad he's still calling people? Because we've got family and friends that I, I hope he'll keep calling them. But you know, one day he'll call no more. And the door will close. And the rapture will occur. And judgment will come. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. I close with a story about a mother who deeply loved her son. The problem was her son was a drunkard and a whoremonger. He verbally, physically, emotionally abused her in every way imaginable. This is a son to his mother. He cussed his mother. He spit in his mother's face. He slapped his mother. He stole from his mother. You can't imagine a much more of a horrible son, but yet she loved that boy. She was his mother. She loved that boy. She was patient with him. She was long-suffering with him. She was slow with him. She was deliberate with him. She prayed for him. She protected him. She pampered him. She let him stay at her place at no cost. She paid all of his debts and obligations when he wasted his money on wine, women, and song. She bailed him out of jail time and time again. She cared for his wounds. 
when he'd go into the bars and get beat up and come back bleeding. She was so loving and so kind to a son that was so horribly abusive to her. And this went on for days and weeks and months and years. But finally, one day, her boy killed somebody. He murdered somebody in a bar over a woman. He ran back to the house, and the police came right behind him. They knocked on the door, and the mother answered the door and said, that the police said, is your so-and-so here? And the mother, with tears in her eyes, stepped aside and said, police came and they handcuffed the boy and they took him away. As they were taking him away, he was crying for his mother's help. He was hollering he was sorry. He was telling his mother, please stop him, Mom. Please stop him. And she said nothing. The police took him out. He would later go to jail and later be executed for his murder. His mother never came to see him again. Why do I tell you that story? Because God is loving and kind to you and I. We've cursed God. We've spit in his face. We've stuck our middle finger up at him. We've been defiant, we've been rebellious, we've used him. And God has just been so patient, so kind, so merciful, so gracious. But there's coming a day, listen to me, you'll say no for the last time. And judgment will come. And the God who loved you and wanted to save you will now turn his back and allow judgment to come against you. And you'll not see him again. You'll not hear from him again. My spirit shall not always strive with man, says the scriptures. There will come that day. Do you know the Lord? Do you have a your salvation, not a mama's salvation, not a daddy's salvation? Do you have a you salvation? Not a Pastor Jim salvation. Not a Miles Road Baptist Church salvation. Do you have a you salvation? Have you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone? Have you repented of your sin? Is there enough evidence right now that if you went before a judge in a court of law, he would look at your life and say you're a Christian? Or would he look and say, I don't even know who this person is. They don't, they don't reflect what they say they are. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.